So hey guys, we're back for another podcast, and uh, I've been nervous. I'm very nervous about this one, not because of the host or the guest, but because of me. Because um, uh, when this person speaks, uh, I usually uh, stare at the floor because I'm trying to absorb everything that this that this man has to say. Um, and I'll, I'll uh, I'm super excited to have Gar- Dr. Gary Roberts here with us. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing his story, and I'm looking forward to him sharing it with you as well, the listener. Of course, I want to thank the Tombstone Epitaph, Mark Boardman at the Epitaph. You can find out more about the Epitaph at www.tombstoneepitaph.com. It is Arizona's longest-running newspaper. One year is $25, two years is $45 $45 and three years of 60. And I always urge everybody to do the $60 for three years because overall it'll save you 15 bucks if you pay year to year. And and honestly, it's uh, it's a phenomenal newspaper. I love holding a newspaper and it's tombstone history right to your fingertips. Even though he covers all of them of Western history, it's fun to get a newspaper that originated from Tombstone and it's mailed right to your door. I urge you again uh, to subscribe to the Tombstone Epitaph at tombstoneepitaph.com. I also want to thank and and reach out and say hello to all my friends at the WWHA. Uh, The Roundup this year in 2022 will be in Rapid City and uh, in Deadwood. And oh my gosh, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to be taking trips and uh, seeing all sorts of sites in the area as well as history around Deadwood. And you can do that. Uh, you can go to the Rapid City if you go to the website at wildwesthistory.org. And if you want to become a member, that's what I really urge you to do is become a member because uh, of the journal. The journal is 100 plus pages of solid packed history. And in, and even though some folks will say, oh, Mike, the membership is kind of high at 75 bucks for a year. Uh, two years is, I'm going to get this wrong, uh, two years is 125 or three years is 175. The point is, is it's Western history and that journal, that book is is 100 plus pages. So every year you're getting four books a year along with all the other benefits on the website and you get to connect to the historians because I'll be honest, if it wasn't for WWHA, uh, most of the connections that I bring you to this uh on the podcast probably wouldn't have happened. And that happened because of my membership in the WWHA. So check them out. Uh, I urge you to become a member and that is at wildwesthistory.org. So a while back, actually a very long while back when I started the podcast, um, Mark Boardman was my very first guest. Um, and there was a person looming out there that I always wanted to interview, and that was Dr. Gary L. Roberts. And I never thought that Dr. Gary would say yes, or let alone take my phone call. And through some mutual relationships, including John Bosnecker and, and others, I was able to connect with um, with Dr. Roberts. And and I'm not going to call him Dr. Roberts through the whole thing. I think he'll he'll quickly tell me to stop it. Um, is that's about right? I would assume, and absolutely. And he he picked up the phone. Actually, I left him a voicemail, and then he called me back, and we we had some some discussion and talk, and 
I immediately knew I wanted to talk to him again. Um, he's he's a, a Southern gentleman through and through, and um, one of the nicest folks I've ever spoken to on the phone, and I think you're going to love his story. And uh, so today's podcast is going to be with Dr. Gary L. Roberts. Now, he has an extensive bio. I'll read some of the stuff, and I'm not going to embarrass him too much, at least I, I hope not. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, sir, anywhere that I make a mistake. Um, you are the Emeritus Professor of History at the Abraham Baldwin Agriculture College in Tifton, Georgia. You have, written, you have written, written or wrote, wrote over 75 articles. You've had numerous essays. The book that most folks know you by is you, you wrote... Doc Holliday, uh, The Life and Legend. You've also written The Slow Reinerson Quarrel, Political Violence in New Mexico. You wrote about the massacre. You actually wrote the book Massacre in Sand Creek. You co-authored The Georgia Governors in an Age of Change. The Georgia Governors in an Age of Change. Um, you collaborated on the Wyatt Earp Anthology with Casey T. Tiller and Roy B. Young. And most recently, I believe it's most recently, you were given the WWHA Lifetime to Wild West History Award. Did I leave anything out? Oh, that's that's plenty. That's, well, I didn't know if you were the. I didn't know if you were the head cashier down at the Piggly Wiggly, or or something no, like that. I, I, I involve myself in a few other things, but uh, that you, this is pretty much Western history that we're talking about. So, right. uh, I've uh, I've worked with the uh, with my Sand Creek research. I've done some. I've worked uh, for about uh, twenty years now with the uh, uh, National Park Service and the uh, 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 the Cheyenne and Arapaho. Uh, Tribes of uh, Oklahoma, uh, Montana, and uh, Wyoming. So uh, uh, that's been a, a great experience. And so you've been around. Uh, yeah, yeah, you've been around. And and folks, I think they really know you by name because of your Doc Holiday book, but. And I've read about you in other articles about how you got started into Western history. Can can you tell us a brief briefly about how Western history? Because I believe it went all the way back to your childhood. Absolutely. In fact, uh, I can't remember a time I, when I wasn't interested in the West. I, I uh, you know, I grew up in the the age of the uh, Saturday afternoon westerns and. Uh, uh, and was at a very young age. Uh, I went to them because I, I found them interesting. But I, I, I said, "This isn't real. You know, this is not real. Uh, uh, this, there's something missing here." And I didn't know. You know, I was, I was just a little kid. You know, because I think one of the reasons that that, that was so that I that I uh, began to have this. Uh, question about the nature of history, you know, and what history was really supposed to be like, the difference between reality and uh, and what they I was seeing on the silver screen, uh, 
was a result of uh, my grandmother, my father's uh, mother, who was uh, uh, fascinated with history herself. And uh, uh, both my parents worked, so uh, I stayed with her a lot when I was not in school. And uh, she would tell me stories, family stories. Now, these were mostly Southern stories, not uh, Although there were sometimes she would tell stories about the uh, Indians in the southeast and and so forth, but uh, but in addition to that, the uh, uh, she would uh, uh, she found out that I was interested in it, and what she would do was from time to time, let's say it was raining or I couldn't get outside to, to play for some reason and. She had this uh, couple of uh, of steamer trunks in a back room, and she said uh, she would say, "Let's go plunder," mm-hmm. and that meant we were going to go. We were going to go look in the in, in those uh, trunks, and uh, so we would go back and we'd open up a trunk, and uh, she would show me things. There might be uh, uh, photographs of. Uh, uh, Civil War soldiers, or they might be uh, photographs of World War One uh, soldiers, or, uh, and and sometimes she would pick up this little. Uh, there were toys and things like that, and uh, uh, she had a a saber that had been broken and then reshaped, and they used it to, when she was growing up to cut sugarcane in the fields, and. Uh, so I, I'm getting a feel for history with all of this. And then she had some letters. She had letters from uh, uh, the Civil War period and also some from World War One. I. I remember those two times in particular. Uh, and she would read the, read the letters to me. And we would sit there and, uh, and it would, sometimes it would go on for – a couple of hours, you know, and I was, I was just eating it up. And uh, so eventually she told me, she, she said, well, you're the only one that cares about this stuff. So when uh, when I pass away, all this stuff is going to be yours. Well, that lasted uh, for a long time and was my expectation. But she had a brother who, just, who got interested in genealogy mm. and uh, – he knew she had all this stuff, and she he came down to visit and said, I uh, want to do this genealogy. Can I borrow your stuff? And uh, so she loaned him the, the trunks, and uh, he took it home with him. And about three months later, his house burned to the ground, and all my letters from Civil War battlefields and uh, yeah. uh, uh, the uh, – in France in World War One were destroyed, and so very little of that survived at all. But uh, she is, was the one who instilled in me this this appreciation for history and gave me my first actual experience with what with historical documents, you know. And they were all they were just like all precious to me when I was still a, a kid, you know, and. Uh, Along with that, the uh, uh, I guess uh, my experience with the Boy Scouts uh, 
uh, uh, got me interested, especially the order of the era, got me interested in the American Indian uh, uh, history. And so uh, I just was uh, more and more con- concerned about the, 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 the as, as I got a little older, I said, this, what I've been reading, I don't want to read anymore. I want to read something more substantial. And I remember, uh, the first thing I ever read about Tombstone was, uh, other than having seen a couple of TV shows, you know, uh, the first thing I had read was, uh, uh, Tombstone by Walter Noble Burns. And, uh, uh, and then, and I, and I really got an interest in Wyatt Earp as a result of that because Burns, whatever you say about him was a, has a, has a wonderful writing style and some of his passages are just, just beautiful. And, uh, but, uh, I did not read a Wyatt Earp Frontier Marshall until much later, but, uh, in the summer, I think it was about 1956, somewhere. I was uh, I was visiting with my uh, an uncle down in the, uh, a near nearby town, and we and I was sitting in the living room, and there was a, a book called Riders West, and uh, uh, it was a, a kind of a, a collection of articles and and short stories that had been put out by the Western writers of America. And uh, one of the first things I noticed was an article by William McLeod Rain called Wider Man Versus Myth. And so I read that, and I was just in enthralled because this was a very different view of Wider than was... Uh, uh, I had gotten from uh, from other things I'd read, uh, and so there I his was a much more critical view of of, of Wyatt Earp, and so I'm sitting there on the on the, on the couch and I, and I say I'm going to find out the truth about this naively, uh, but uh, I'm going to find out the truth. Which one of these two pictures is right? Uh, Wyatt Earp, the, the hero, or Wyatt Earp, this, uh, the villain. And uh, so I started then, uh, uh, bec- I became more and more involved in uh, trying to get in touch. Now, we didn't have uh, cell phones back then, and, the, and there was no, no uh, quick way to get in touch with people. So I just started writing letters and, uh, and, uh, and buying books. And it uh, over the uh, as as I moved through uh, my uh, high school years, I was I was just you know there weren't a lot of my, uh, people my my peers who had read uh, uh, Tombstone or or books like uh, uh, Eugene Cunningham's. Uh, trigonometry or all, but I'd read all kinds of things and, and I'd gotten a, 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 a very different picture in my mind. Uh, and I'm still trying to decide which is, which is, uh, 
right and which is wrong. Uh, but I uh, was also trying to write too. I was, I was and, and had the good fortune of having a series of about three uh, English teachers who uh, decided that uh, I needed to be writing essays rather than uh, taking uh, multiple choice exams and so forth. And so basically, I started writing there. And this, as, as a senior in high school, I've, I sold my uh, first article to uh, uh, True West. It didn't appear until uh, after I'd graduated from high school, but uh, this would be, it would be 1961. But, no, uh, no, wait a minute. But, uh, uh, I, I, I got to stop you. Okay. <laughs> because I got to stop you before you go on because I'll end up I I'm I'm looking again, I'm looking at the floor as you talk, which I'm absorbing uh, trying to absorb it all. You are you saying that you were in high school? How did you submit your article to True West because obviously True West magazine you were receiving the magazine or purchasing it at a, at a at a you know, a dime store or a, at a pharmacy or something. And, and then you end up writing an essay or an article and then, and in high school you submitted that and they printed it. Yes. I understand. It was it that simple. Yes. Was it that simple? Well, I, I actually we, we couldn't, uh, true West. I had to subscribe to uh, because uh, they didn't sell True West east of the Mississippi back then, except in a few uh, locations. So I started subscribing to it. And, I, and uh, a part of the way that I got it, uh, and, and this is in the very important part of the way, I mentioned earlier that uh, I, I I wanted to get in touch with people, but uh and and to and to get their opinion, so I was, I was writing everybody, and I was absolutely amazed at some of the people who you know that answered me. I I uh, I, I a couple of you know of course wasn't able to, t- to discuss anything with Walter Noble Burns because he'd passed, but the, but there were people uh, and uh, some of your. Uh, Listeners will uh, will be will uh, probably recognize a few of these names, but uh, uh, I, I got in contact to with a man named Raymond Adams, who wrote uh, uh, several books. But his best known probably work was uh, Six Guns and Saddle Leather, which was a uh, a, a book that. Uh, simply gave his opinion, basically summarized his analysis of each of a, a long list of books on everybody from the, you know, from a, a Wyatt Earp to Billy the Kid to Jesse James uh, uh, and more. And uh, so I, I had the good fortune to begin to correspond with him. I also... Uh, began to to, to uh, uh, correspond with people like Robert N. Mullen. Uh, Bob Mullen was uh, uh, 
actually in the oil business at one time, but he was uh, he was very interested in uh, Billy the Kid, and he was interested in he was one of the first one of the first people that got interested in trying to reconstruct a uh, a map of Tombstone that would, and he worked on it uh, over the years. Uh, the so I'm I'm corresponding with anybody. If I'd read an article in True West and I liked it, I would write the author. And so I, I so when I finally wrote my article, uh, I had already uh, I had published a letter to the editor in an earlier uh, issue of uh, of uh, about Wyatt Earp to uh, to True West, and then and uh, that led me into contact with a couple of other people. I think Bob Mullen and I began. To, to correspond more uh, in a greater length then. And I was dealing with people like uh, uh, two very influential people were, one was uh, J. J. Frank Dobie. Uh, Everybody knows uh, the poet laureate of Texas and uh, at one time and the uh, author of a number of books and uh, um, and I got in touch with him. I was trying to decide what I was going to do when I got to college and what I was going to major in, whether I was going to try to major in journalism or, or whether I was going to major in history. And, uh, so I was asking for advice and I'll never forget that I got this letter back from Adobe uh, and he said, uh, uh, in the first place, most people who ask for advice really don't want it, but since you ask, uh, I'm, I'm going to give it to you. And, and so he told me, he said, he told me that uh, to go the route of, of, of history, he said, you, you can, uh, you need the, the broader, the, the broader context that history gives you as opposed to strictly uh, a journalism degree. And uh, he, he he made a, a very strong impression on me about the the importance of having a broad perspective. Mm-hmm. I asked him what books to read, and he told me to read uh, Macaulay's History of England and uh, 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 Carlyle's uh, History of the French Revolution, and uh, which seems kind of strange recommendations for. Uh, Somebody that's just asked you, uh, right. what what books on the do I need to read and get ready to write about the West? Uh, and so that, that was, uh, but I've still got it. It's right here uh, as I'm sitting here. That letter's on the wall, uh, just a, a couple of feet away from me. It where, almost sounds like uh, he wanted you to have a broader a broader view than just yes. Than just to a get singular that broad view. view, right? He said. He said that one of his uh, statements was said. You don't. He said you need a continental mind, not a county mind. Right. And and he was, uh, uh, you know, and coming from him, that was made an extra impression. Mm-hmm. And another person that I was writing to about the same time who had a uh, an impact on me in 
well, there were actually a couple of other people, but one of them was Charles uh, Sonicson, Charles C.L. Sonicson, who wrote several books on the Texas feuds, and he was at the, at the Arizona Historical Society for a while, was a professor at the uh, uh, at the um, University of Texas at El Paso, and uh, well, it was then Texas Western, I think, is what it was called back then. But uh, he was interested in what he called uh, grassroots history. So rather than writing a a big, huge, sweeping stories about, uh, uh, in the, you know, like we might normally think of as a history book, his works were always more focused on the, like local history, but with a difference. And he had a, uh, he had a same, the same kind of standards for writing that, uh, that, that other academic historians had, you know. So but he had that, he had the philosophy. It was just the subject matter. And he warned me away from, uh, of, of writing off any subject matter as unworthy. You know, I've said, if it interests you, mm-hmm. then, then, then pursue it. And, uh, so, so I, I've got, uh, uh, right. Here in front of me uh, on my desk, uh, uh, a copy of what what is called a, a little book he wrote called The Ambidextrous Historian. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so he had a great influence on me. Uh, Niall Miller and uh, uh, Joseph Snell were two uh, People I also contacted, they were doing a, a series because of the popularity of Gunsmoke and uh, Wyatt Earp on television. Uh, people were writing the uh, state, uh, Kansas State Historical Society. They were just being bombarded with questions about Wyatt Earp and Wild Bill Hickok. And, and, and people were sending them letters saying that, I'm a descendant of Matt Dillon, <laughs> and I need to. Uh, can you send me some information? So they did a book called uh, "Why the West Was Wild," and uh, it's, it was about the uh, the. Uh, it was a, a, a book of of newspaper primarily, and and, and some documents of uh, from the cow towns in in Kansas. So that it was. Mostly about law enforcement in in Kansas and uh, during the the Cowtown era. Mm-hmm. So they were. So here I am. After a while, I've got the, you know I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with these folks, and they're just and they were so generous. Uh, that was the thing that amazed me. I had these. I would get these letters sometimes that uh, that would be. Four and five pages, single space typed, and uh, uh, and they were just pouring out this information, sending me things I, uh, that I didn't even know existed, and uh, so and I, I I corresponded with uh, Ed Bartholomew, who did the who did the uh, a book on Wyatt Earp that was a very uh, it was a 
probably the most anti-herb book up to, up to that point. I corresponded with Frank Waters, who was the, who, uh, did the Herb Brothers of Tombstone. Uh, and, uh, uh, there was just, you know, I, I can go on with Joe Rosa. To, and there were some, a whole group of people, uh, uh in England, the English Westerners Society had, uh, uh, just uh, a large number of people that made a big difference, and uh, uh, people like Colin Rickards and uh, uh, and Joe Joe Rosa was, of course, uh, the Wild Bill Hickok specialist to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, hmm. did you ever get a so chance? All of, uh, all of those, uh, you know, that's. That was really fed uh, fed my interest. Did, did you ever get a chance to meet any of them? Most of them, I did not. I met. I, I did meet a few. I met. Uh, I had a good fortune uh, when I was in uh, a little older. I, I met uh, Niall Miller and Joe Snell and uh, Joe Rosa and. Uh, uh, and uh, Leland Sonicson and uh, uh, and so, but they were, uh, you know, they just impressed upon me some things because I was I was really a kind of uh, let's put it this way: there were a lot of people in the um, in, back in those days, and some that unfortunately are still around who considered. What we call Wild West history to be uh, uh, not serious history. Uh, that it was, you know, that was something that, uh, and, it, and it was not anything that was dependable. And uh, and you can, it was very easy to find out why because there was a lot of of, of junk that was out there on the on the, uh, you know, in bookstores and so forth where there that. Uh, contributed very little and there were magazines that, that were basically designed to uh, to uh, uh, knock down all of the the heroes you know there were so they wanted to get to uh, they, they wanted to uh, uh, like H.L. Mencken once said, throw dead cats into the temples of heroes. So by mm-hmm. <laughs> blowing up the, uh, the, their stories. Right. And I had this thing in my mind that uh, I wanted to write about Western history in with a, with academically credible uh, standards. And, uh, and so, you know, so that nobody would would be able to to look at it and say, well, uh, this person doesn't know anything about writing history. They're just telling stories. And I wanted to, to, to be the works to be documented and uh, annotated and, uh, uh, you know, all of that thing that, that would you would expect of a, uh, of a serious work of history. And but, that's why I think why people like uh, mm-hmm. Sonicson and uh, and uh, um, Dobie 
and and a few and, and uh, uh, Robert N. Mullen and others who were so influential. They encouraged that. Mm-hmm. They, they they said yes, pursue this, and uh, uh, and gave me advice and along the way about how to do that. But and, you, uh, so that I was tra- like going simultaneously as I was going through college, I was going through, I was taking history, getting a, uh, pursuing history on two different tracks. There was my academic track to, with all my coursework in, in college. And then there was this, uh, I was using some of those ideas, uh, but I was also, actively doing research on uh, on western subjects and uh, but you had said something so. you had said in a pre-interview when you and I had spoke as you were doing this writing and research and we had spoke briefly about doc holiday but you had said that the as you began to continue your research you found western violence to be most intriguing, and I don't think maybe intriguing well, is a word. It did that as you were beginning your early stages. Did you start gravitating towards that, or? Well, I thought that you know, I I really did uh, begin to to think because I was reading on a fairly wide range at this point. I was reading all about the cow towns, and then I was reading about Tombstone. And I was doing uh, some research on some American Indian topics, and I was the and, and and what what they all seemed to have in common was was this violent thread, and and I wondered, uh, and then I would, there would be people who would say, well, the West really wasn't all that violent, and so forth, and so I I did I did have this this sense that uh, uh, I wanted to know that there was a. A book that came out in the, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people have read it. It's well worth the read. Is uh, uh, Robert Dykstra's uh, "The Cattle Towns," and he was one that uh, first began to challenge the notion that of uh, that uh, that the cow towns were uh, were violent places. So. I, I tried to. Uh, I, I thought about responding to that. After I read those uh, uh, those things, I was. Uh, uh, I said, well, uh, "Well, I wonder if he's right," and and that's where uh, Niall Miller and, and Joe Snell were, really helped me on that because we would they they knew the Kansas uh, newspapers better than just about anybody and. Uh, uh, so they would pass their their book became kind of a Bible for me that uh, one of the West was wild, and I, because I could look it up all these accounts of violent activities, and uh, but here's where the eventually and the way all that that all eventually came together was that I began to reading American history. On a much broader scale, I began to to notice some patterns, you know, and I said that wait, this there, there's just some uh, some significant things that are going on here, and by uh, 
the uh, I guess it was by the late sixties. Uh, I had to begin to put together my own understanding of it, and it had to do with well, just like for example, uh, if you look at the uh, the heyday of uh, the Wild West, uh, you you realize that. Uh, from about 1865, the end of the Civil War, uh, to the end of the century, one of the chief characteristics of American history, not Wild West history, is violence. Uh, some have argued that it's probably the most violent period in American history. Uh, there were between, uh, in the 10 years after the end of the Civil War, eight judges were murdered. There was, uh, between 1865 and 1901, three American presidents were assassinated. Uh, between 1865 and uh, uh, in the middle 1870s, uh, uh, there were something like uh, 29 public office holders that were, that were killed. And, uh, so that seemed to me to be, but in, but when you add to that, the fact, uh, my question was, well, why? Uh, and, and, and one of the things I, I noticed is that what I, what I was thinking about it with respect to the West as being something that was especially unique and out of the ordinary, uh, I concluded, really weren't wasn't out of the ordinary what made the difference for the circumstances, the context. Uh there were certain things that made it more likely for a time to be violent. And the and the reasons the the uh the the West was violent in the in the eighteen uh, seventies and eighties was was related, not identical, but related to the, the reasons that uh, the South was going through uh, uh, Reconstruction and uh, Jim Crow and all of that. And while the, uh, in, in urban America, there was the, the, uh, uh, the growth of cities and, uh, and with all the uh, labor violence and, uh, and the development of uh, you know, the, really the beginnings of, uh, of law enforcement as we know it today. But, uh, so that's just, and one of the key things, I, one of the things that I, a concept I, um, came up with was something called, uh, what I call the boom phenomenon. And that a part of it has to do that, uh, with, uh, uh, the growth of that rapid growth that was, that was coming along at this particular point. Like, for example, Tifton, Georgia, where I, where I live, was founded in 1872 uh, when the railroad came through, which is also, by the way, the same year that Dodge City, Kansas, was uh, a um, was was founded. So you've got Dodge City, 
in, in, in Tifton, Georgia, very different parts of the country, but, but with similar experiences because both of them go through a time after they were, they, they were boom towns, basically. The one was for buffalo hides and cattle. The other was, uh, 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 was lumber and naval stores. Uh, so that it was a different uh, resource, but it was the exploitation of resources that created the the, the cow towns, uh, the the mining camps in the west, and uh, and and all of these places that we usually associate with the with the violence of the time, and uh, uh, it, it all has to do and. and this, I think, is, is one thing that really fascinates me and, and, and it makes it so important to get the broad view, that context. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, elements involved in this is, uh, is, is the importance of community. When people started going west, the Civil War helped to disrupt community in, the, in, the, in, in many ways, too. But afterwards, when you have people, these, this migration that takes place westward, and it starts, and you, you could really make the go way, way back on this to see what I'm what I'm talking about. But as people went west, they left behind all of the things that normally stabilized and 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 uh, a, a community. There is a loss of community here. They, they, they leave behind churches. They leave behind organized government. They leave behind uh, uh, family connections. They leave behind all of these things, and they're, and they're thrown into new environments with new groups of people and new uh, – they're not, not, not necessarily the same. And, uh, and, and, and there's just – and plus there's the uh, – uh, Initially, the absence of effective law enforcement, and you so you you build this around the the idea of, and you can see where uh, where this violence is coming from. It's a, that that's a a critical element. But I think that it's just a part of a, you know, it's just a part of the modernization. Uh, the railroad probably. Uh, had more to do with it than anything in industrialization and, uh, and alienation and, uh, uh, the plus we get, we get into, you can go off into things like manifest destiny and the, uh, the, uh, the ideas that, uh, what, uh, came to be known as, uh, uh Scientific racism in the middle of the 20th century, which may be in the 19th century that, uh, uh, allowed people to make judgments about, uh, uh, American Indians and, and, and others. So, but anyway, that's, uh, uh, there's a, a, a changes that come and that, uh, there's some, there, there's some similar. You can see that this is not necessarily unique to the to the West, because uh, uh, you have gunfights in the West, 
they had in the South, uh, what, what were referred to as shoot on sight duels, which is something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you read those, uh, uh, magazines like the, from the 19th century about the, like the illustrated police news or the, um, uh, and there, and there are two or three others that are some actually better known that, uh, that, that are filled with stories of violent activities. And Texas gets, uh, the, is, is regarded in most of those early accounts as being the, the most, uh, violent prone, violence prone and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and other people have, have, have contributed to this, this concept as well. Uh, uh John Bosenecker's book on, uh, uh, his recent book. Wildcat. On, uh, on the, the Cowboys. Oh. Question. Yep. Um, uh, he talks about the, 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 the uh, the Texas, uh, influence. Mm-hmm. And, and but when you go back to the violence again, I haven't even mentioned the Indian Wars or the border troubles. Uh, well, we don't. So we don't have time for that. <laughs> but <laughs> let me ask you. Not, but I just I just wanted to well, emphasize that this is a, a, a the surface level of the the hype. I mean, let, let me ask you though. Let me ask you something. We're already 45 minutes in to a 55 to 60 minutes is what we have total. Will you come back and do this again? Sure. Be happy to. Oh, okay. You heard it first. He'll come back again. The reason is, I will. is, is you've got so much history and we haven't even spoke on Doc Holliday. And there's, <laughs> and there's a lot of people that want to talk about Doc Holliday. Well, that and, sounds like I'm usually up for that. In, we have about 10 minutes, and it'll go by really fast, 10 minutes. I'm going to ask you a Doc Holliday question, and that is why Doc Holliday? Of all the people in violent Western history and all the – and I'm not saying violent, that Western, Western history is violent, but just in the violence and Western history and all the people you chose Doc Holliday to write about, why him? Well, uh, there were a, a couple of reasons, and, and, and one of them is that uh, uh, most everybody was focusing on Wyatt Earp, and the, the, so that and there was a good question as to whether we, uh, there needed to be another Wyatt Earp book. Uh, I'd written uh, uh, more than one article on Wyatt Earp uh, over the years, but. Uh, uh, but I, early on, uh, I, I decided to go exploring when I realized that Doc Holliday grew up uh, about 40 miles south of where I'm sitting right now. Uh, I decided I wanted to go down there and check that. And I'd read and I, uh, the biographies of, that existed of Holliday by uh, uh, Myers and... Uh, uh, Jan, Jans, and, uh, so I, uh, at, uh, what I, and they mentioned, 
a couple of uh, sisters who lived in the Valdosta who were cousins of uh, of Doc's. Who were uh, Doc's mother was a was a Mackey, uh, and uh, there were two uh, Mackey sisters that was there, and one of them they had helped. Uh, uh, one in particular, Lillian Mackey, had helped uh, uh, them and their do their biographies. Uh, so uh, I decided to go down there and just kick around and see what I could find. Now, at this point, I was still awfully young and naive. I didn't even think of a notebook or a, a recorder or anything. I just went down to talk to these people. And uh, I, I got to speak to uh, uh, Alva Mackey, who was the other uh, sister there. And uh, Miss Alva was a intimidating Southern lady, one of those uh, strong-willed uh Southern matriarch types, you know, and then, uh, and she, and frankly, she intimidated the heck out of me. And she, and she, cause she was upset with the way people had treated Doc, the wrong, bad things they'd said about Doc that weren't true and so forth. But we talked at length and, uh, uh, I also talked with a, uh, a newspaper man who had been, who lived in, in, uh, in Valdosta for many years, and uh, uh, he had known other members of the of the uh, the Mackey family and the in the Holiday family. Uh, Doc's father was the first mayor of Valdosta, and uh, so we got we got to going through all of this and. Uh, uh, he, this, this newspaper man also knew, was a person that introduced me to the name of a man named Zan, is, uh, Zan is basically a nickname. His name was Zan Griffith, is what he was called. And Zan Griffith worked for, uh, Doc's father, especially after Doc got me, and after, uh, he got a little older, he, and, uh, he had trouble like traveling. He, for example, Sam Griffin went with, uh, Holiday to, I mean, with Henry Holiday to New Orleans for the, a, uh, gathering of the Mexican war veterans in, in the, in the later, later on in the 1880s. And some people believe that he and Doc had a little, uh, reconciliation there. I'm not convinced of that, but, but it's, it's, it's a possibility. But they did, uh, apparently he did, uh, a meet doc and he was a very distinguished gentleman there for a long time in Valdosta. And, uh, he lived in one of the local hotels down there. And, uh, but the hotel, caught fire and uh, a number of things uh, were destroyed including a, a saddle that Doc supposedly gave to to Van Griffith and, uh, uh, and some uh, letters and other things. This idea that Doc could, had a, 
little correspondence is uh, is is really not true. He was in, he was in contact with a, a, a number of people, but we we just haven't found them. They've, we know that they they corresponded with them, but anyway, but that's how I got into Doc. Is I got and uh, then I eventually met uh, another member of the Mackey family, Susan. Susan Mackey Thomas, who uh, did a book called uh, "In Search of the Holidays," uh, she lived. She lived in Valdosta, and she and I became uh, we we became just constant correspondence. And uh, and I met, made a number of trips down to see her, and uh, and eventually through Susie, uh, I met. Uh, Victoria Wilcox, who was uh, uh, doing research on the, uh, uh, who was interested in, in Doc's family too, because of her connection with the uh, uh, the Holiday House in Fayetteville, Georgia, and uh, so we that you know once that was uh, all together, it just kind of fell into place rather logically, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it sounds good. It, uh, Let me ask you, we have one question. This is a Mike question. I thought about it yesterday. We only have a few minutes left. Okay. If you were to get in a time machine and take you back to a location, I'll, let's just say in Prescott, and it brought you to Prescott where you could go to Doc and and ha- ask a question. Have you ever thought about what you could ask Doc if you were ever to meet him? Oh, there's oh yes, I have. I, 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 what are the questions that need answering the most? You know, I uh, and and th- there would be a lot of them uh, because first of all, because there's so much uh, that's been written that's wrong, and uh, and and secondly, the because. Uh, of the lack of uh, of personal documentation, he was not one of those people who was able to live long enough that uh, somebody would write his would have him at hand to write a, b- a book about the way that say uh, Wyatt Earp had uh, Stuart Lake, mm-hmm. but uh, so there was there's no there's. So I, I would want to know. I, I'd want to know some stuff about uh, uh, his early life. I uh, I find his early life interesting. Uh, his uh, uh, the, the the nature of the relationships, uh, the family connections, all of these things are interesting because they even affect they even affect how contemporary family members. View Doc as compared to other uh, other members of the family, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know some of the some of the people have uh, regarded uh, Doc as a, an embarrassment to the family. Mm-hmm. Others were very very defensive of him and 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 thought of him in terms of being a a good boy, as they would say, okay. and. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, and fair enough. 
And of course, I'd have to ask him about some of the uh, the, the other things. Uh, there are some questions that I would have asked at one time that I know the answers to now, so I wouldn't ask those. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. You know, it's 56 minutes. Okay. 56. It goes by fast. goes by fast. Okay. All right. So, again, I you can find Dr. Gary L. Roberts, Gary Roberts' books everywhere. Uh, you can find uh, Doc Holliday, The Life and Legend of Doc Holliday. You can find it at Amazon or booksellers near you. Of course, you can find Sand Creek Massacre, again, at Amazon and booksellers near you. Um, and, again, if you really want to connect with him, this is probably one of the best places to do it, and we'll get Part 2 scheduled right away, and we'll get uh, we'll get Gary back to, to talk some more in, about history and Doc Holliday and, and whatever Gary wants to talk about. Uh, of course, I want to thank the folks at the Tombstone Epitaph, Mark and Eric and everybody over there that's uh, producing and making Arizona's longest-running newspaper. You can find and subscribe to the Epitaph at tombstoneepitaph.com. I want to thank the folks uh, and all my good friends over at the Wild West History Association. You can join and become a member at wildwesthistory.org. I urge you to do that. Uh, so you can get the journal and uh, and get connected to Western history uh, with true provenance and not, you know, through photo sharing apps and, you know, gosh, whatever else you're going to see on the Internet. Uh, the Western History Association brings it to you truthfully just as much as the epitaph brings it to you truthfully. And that's really what you want is uh, is truth in your Western history. Um, of course, at the end, I tell everybody, you know what, and I ask everybody, get involved in a charity near you, whether it's a church charity or it's a food bank. For me, it's food bank and the folks at St. Mary's Food Bank. You know, just there's folks needing help in the world today and uh, and they're needing help right in the community where you live. So reach out to a food food bank and donate. Uh, here in Phoenix, it's almost 100% of every dollar goes to food for $1. It's uh, $1 makes seven meals or feeds seven people. So I'm pretty sure if you get a, a food bank near you, you know, it's it's not the food that they need, it's the money that they need. So 20 bucks can go a long ways or even go down and volunteer at a church charity or a charity near you. It just makes you feel good. Um, and for that, you know, it's just a, it's a great way to end a podcast. Um, Dr. Roberts, Gary Roberts, thank you so much for your time. And we will be back shortly. Do you have anything you want to add to any of that? Do you have a charity that you, you, uh, partner with? Um, through, through my local church primarily. And, uh, uh, what's your local church? And, I'm a Methodist. <laughs> so, That's all right. First Methodist Church in the Tifton, Georgia, and uh, and also uh, I, I'm kind of like uh, there's some other things that I try to do on the side. Much much of it is just uh, individual contributions. There you go. Alrighty. Well, we appreciate you folks again. If you're listening on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Let folks know about it and leave a comment because I will answer every single one. And if you want to leave a question on the YouTube or on the Facebook postings where these, uh, where I'm uh, promoting these, leave a question and I'll write it down and uh, we'll get it to Gary the next time that we speak. We might even give you a shout out and say this question is from so-and-so. Um, again, we appreciate you bunch, safe travels, and we'll see you next time.